MSW Media. Thanks to MedCline for supporting Cleanup on Aisle 45. If you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux or both, then MedCline might be right for you. So get 20% off and a better night's sleep today at MedCline.com slash cleanup. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, it is Wednesday, September 14th, 2022, and this is episode 87 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. I am your co-host, Andrew Torres. Uh, AG is in parts unknown, conferring with the highest levels of government. Actually, I'm not entirely sure where she is, but sitting in for AG today is the lovely and talented Liz Dye. You know her from her work at Wonket. She also writes at Above the Law. She is incredibly snarky on Twitter. Is there anything else that I need to plug? for you, Liz? I don't think so. I think that about covers it. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show and thanks for uh, being here with us today. Glad to be here. All right. So um, let's get into it. Uh, We will thank patrons next week. This week, what I really, really want to talk about is uh, the spectacular crashing and burning of everybody who has ever been close to Donald Trump for any reason whatsoever. Um, they lived high on the hog for a while. The grift was good while the uh, getting was easy, but uh, now maybe not so much. So uh, let's talk about you want to start with uh, Dr. Peter Navarro. Dr. Peter Navarro, <laughs> economist extraordinaire. Well, I, you know, I never want to hear them make fun of Dr. Jill Biden again. But oh my anyway. God. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So who is Peter Navarro? Well, so Peter Navarro is an economist, um, but mm-hmm. he and, and he's run for office in California a whole bunch of times, sometimes as a Democrat, never successfully, most recently as a Republican. And When Jared Kushner was looking to staff up the Trump administration, he literally went to Amazon looking for someone who would reinforce Trump's kind of childish ideas about trade wars with China being good and easy to win. Um, Somebody who was going to say, China, China bad, we're going to, you know, tariff, tariff ourselves into, you know, equipoise. But um, so those ideas were silly. Yes. And Peter Navarro had them. And he also had a bunch of other really stupid ideas. Um, but, you know, good enough. So he, he was with Trump the whole four years in various um, economic advisory positions in the White House. But mm-hmm. also he had his fingers in a lot of other pies because um, he had 
boundless confidence in his own kind of intellectual ability. So he was involved in the coronavirus response, and that's how we wound up with tens of millions of doses of hydroxychloroquine in the property of the U.S. government, but none for patients with like lupus who actually needed them. Um, And toward the end To be fair, any idiot economist could have made that mistake. So True. We sh- yeah, don't want to don't want to diss you unnecessarily, <laughs> Doctor Navarro. Um, he also sort of at the end purported to have statistically proved that Trump could not have lost the election um, using his big brain and math. Um, I mean, the whole thing was like garbage. It was the theory was that um, Trump couldn't have done so much less well in the mail-in ballots and Biden couldn't have overperformed in the mail-in ballots such that it would have flipped the tallies overnight from Trump to, <laughs> right. I mean, it was, it was really silly. Like, everybody had predicted that. Despite peer-reviewed literature uh, predating and predicting exactly what happened, right? Like, I mean, exactly. th- there was a reason. I don't I don't think, you know, CNN coined the, you know, blue shift effect right. on the red wave, election right, night, right. right? Like, yeah. So he had this kind of manifesto, which, you know, purported to prove that the, that the thing was stolen. Um, and... He um, he decided he was going to keep Trump in office using his, you know, his bigly man brain. Um, and he <laughs> kind of hooked up with um, Steve Bannon um, to in this plot, which they called the Green Bay Sweep, which is apparently after a Packers blocking play. I only knew this when I was researching the show. I thought it was, you know, because it was all of these swing states and the last one in the alphabet was Wisconsin. Um, so oh, anyway, yeah. Oh, so oh. apparently it's a blocking play because they're such manly men. You could tell if you've ever seen Peter Navarro. <laughs> He definitely. Or, I mean, or Steve Bannon. I or mean, Steve you know, Bannon. I, right. Yeah. Picture of manliness and health. It is, it is not like he is an Adonis come down to earth. But anyway, yeah. I mean, hot for I every like, lid, man. I like, I like football just fine. So, you know, there's no need to, uh, <laughs> you know. All right. Uh, the Packers are, Packers are hurting after uh, yes, after this, this past weekend. But anyway. Right. So they hooked up with 100 Republican legislators, actually more than. And they had this plan. And their plan, this Green Bay Sweep plan, was to create mm. such a ruckus by objecting to the swing state legislatures, um, legislators, the electoral college slates, on January 6th, like in the chamber. And outside the chamber would be this pitchfork mob of lunatics, which they had summoned for the purpose. And some sort of way they were going to delay certification long enough or they were going to block it. Um, and and Trump was going to be president, right? It was like a yeah. kind of an underpants gnome thing. So yeah. it, it, is there any evidence connecting them uh, at all to any of Trump's legal team, you know, John Eastman or the folks that were putting together like the flimsy paper thin justifications for ostensibly doing so or I haven't crazy coincidence seen that, right? although yeah. um, I mean, I haven't seen that. Um, yeah. But I would be surprised if they kind of magically alit on this legal theory on uh, their right. own. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, neither man being a lawyer. Uh, um, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, obviously Renaissance man, Dr. Peter Navarro, but still. Uh, who you, has you represented himself in court to hilarious okay. effect. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, we will, we will get to that. Okay. So. They're they're coming up with sort of the boots on the ground implementation of the John Eastman, you know, well, at minimum, maybe we can just delay the Electoral Count Act and send it back. Okay, right. And Bannon was pretty clear. They were both pretty clear about what they were doing. Bannon on January 5th famously said all hell is going to break loose tomorrow. And 
Navarro said, you know, Biden's never going to be inaugurated. And, and he even wrote a book about it <laughs> called In Trump Time, My Journal of America's Plague Year. I'm sure you We've all, everybody who's listening is right. Yeah, it's, it's on my bookshelf, but I'll, I'll get to it. I got the audio <laughs> version. I just really wanted to hear it. Read it to me. Anyway, <laughs> so, um, so they both, they both weren't, they weren't secret. They weren't, they weren't shy about what they were doing. But when they were subpoenaed by Congress, both of them basically um, gave two big middle fingers to the January 6th Select Committee and said that they couldn't possibly talk about it because of Trump's invocation of executive privilege. And and to be fair, <laughs> a lot of people said that. Um, sure, but but multiple things, right? Number one, right. a lot of people took that approach. You know, Don McGahn managed to ride out the string by, uh, you know, doing so while Trump was in office. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that delay worked. Like, um, your guy's not there anymore. Anyway, so... Well, I mean, and, and not just that, that that there were there have been hundreds and hundreds of witnesses and, and a lot of them kind of didn't wind up cooperating. But nobody did it in such yeah. an egregiously stupid way as right. these two geniuses. Right. John right. Eastman showed up and then just, right. you know, said fifth to literally everything. Right. Mike Flynn showed up. Hey, I mean, Roger Stone showed up. Alex Jones showed <laughs> up. And part of the reason that they showed up is that, you know, that Bannon got indicted early and it looked and, and then they were like, oh, I, I guess the DOJ is actually going to, you know, yeah. deal with this. But these two um, did not show up and did not um, did not produce any documents. And, you know, they got the sharp end of the indictment. Like, no kidding, dude. Um, so I mean, so Bannon handled it in a slightly different way from mm -hmm. um, from Navarro. He through his lawyer, Robert Costello, um, told the January 6th committee that Trump had invoked executive privilege and that he wasn't going to show up to all. And there was some negotiation um, where where um, where Bannon's, you know, where, where Costello showed up. And, we, you know, probably listeners of your show recognize Costello because he's got a long history. He's represented Rudy Giuliani. And he, if you remember, in the prior incantation of this fun soap opera, he was the one who theoretically dangled a pardon to Michael Cohen using Garth Brooks lyrics. Like he's he's been around. He's a wild character. Like he was he, he did work at the Southern District of New York, you know, like 100 years ago. But I don't know what happened to these guys. They all got brain. That, that has. I mean, Rudy Giuliani, I like I, we went back to look at the 793 E and F episodes uh, that, that I had recorded in 2016 and the person with credibility affiliated with the Trump transition team was Rudy Giuliani in 2016. So yeah, like and it's all been downhill since then. Yeah. It's all been decomposing at uh, four seasons. Total. <laughs> As has poor but, Rudy. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Uh, okay. So, Costello, to be clear, yeah, yeah I, I want to talk about Costello, but like, to be clear, Steve Bannon, not in the White House, no. not employed by Donald Trump in any way, no, Steve in Bannon any of the events leading up to 2020. out of the White House in 2017. Yeah. And, you know, right. he got that like infamous nasty Trump tweet. I think they called him Sloppy Steve or whatever. Um, he, he, he was. I think he got fired after he spoke no to little Marco. But yeah, yeah, no, he's no little Marco. I think he spoke to um, I think Michael Wolf, and he said he he was talking about they were going to break Don Jr. like an egg on national television or something if he was ever interviewed by Congress. Anyway, he got booted in 2017, and so his claim of executive privilege was preposterous on its face because right. you know he was not a high ranking 
executive branch official having, you know, official communications with the president. He was talking about how to overturn the election. So Costello um, went to Congress and said, basically, get bent. And he also (laughs) um, went to the Justice Department after um, the committee referred Bannon for contempt prosecution and said, you know, no, you can't you can't prosecute my guy because he has this privilege claim um, from the former president via his lawyer, Justin Clark. Um, but that turned out to be kind of maybe less than 100 percent accurate, maybe like 100 okay. percent less than 100 percent accurate, um, because in the subsequently produced communications, Justin Clark. Well, I mean, I can read it to you. It's um. He says, just to reiterate, our letter didn't indicate that we believe there is immunity from testimony for your client. As I indicated to you the other day, we don't believe there is. Now, you may have made a different determination. That is entirely your call. So so Clark didn't invoke privilege on yeah, no. Trump's behalf. <laughs> That's he said, the opposite of that. Right. I mean, what he had said was made, and this is, I believe, I believe this is kind of how Meadows and a bunch of the other Trump land people got kind of snookered by Trump, that Trump's lawyers made a kind of general statement like, protect all the privileges that you have. And people interpreted that rather expansively. Bannon and Navarro interpreted it extremely expansively. And they paid the price, right? So Justin Clark had said something like, I think you have some privilege, you should assert it. By which Bannon took that to mean, I can just tell you guys to get bent. And mm-hmm. not give you any documents and not show up to testify. Um, and that was that was a bad choice. Yeah. And we should say, I think you are correct to point out the DOJ's decision. Right. So Congress then immediately referred Bannon and immediately it took a couple of weeks, right. uh, but referred Bannon to the DOJ for prosecution under 2 USC 192. Um, this, again, mi- misdemeanor. Right. Punishable by a fine of not more than a thousand dollars, nor you know, jail from one to twelve months. Um, but but nevertheless, like that is the penalty that Congress has put into place right. for witnesses who refuse to testify pursuant to a valid subpoena to appear before Congress. Uh, it, it you know we saw the sort of Steve Bannon claiming you know that the Alex Jones like. Well, I don't know what what am I supposed to put on in my defense? And the answer is, well, probably not anything when it's this clear that you're that guilty. But yeah. Right. Right. Why don't we talk a little bit about uh, Bannon's trial? Like Bannon's that was, trial was amazing. Wild. <laughs> he was represented by um, your buddy, Evan, the court Corcoran and mm-hmm. David Schoen, who um, represented Trump in the second impeachment. Um, famously sleepy David Schoen, who told rambling stories and prompted Donald Trump to tell, um, was he telling a a GW uh, law professor, Jonathan Turley, one of his flax, like, who the hell is that guy? (laughs) Uh, Which was great. Yeah. That David Schoen, if you uh, are still kind of putting the pieces together. Right. I love that one. He had the, like, people were doing the, you know, Grandpa Simpson, like, so I tied an onion to my belt, which was in the style <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. all right. He is a Go styling ahead. guy. So, right. So they had, they they tried to put on a whole bunch of what, in my writing, I referred to as permission slip defenses. They tried <laughs> an advice of counsel defense, um, which is, Bannon said, well, my lawyer said it was cool, so I had a rational belief that I could you know, just tell the committee to get bent. Um, and Does that work? 
It actually doesn't. In fact, there okay. is precedent in the um, in in D.C. in federal court in D.C., which says that you can't do that, and it's um, from a case called Licavoli versus the United States. Um, so th- he tried that; it did not work. He tried to claim, um, which is, uh, he tried to claim that the Office of Legal Counsel memoranda, which he naturally was poring over every night to familiarize himself with before he, you know gave two middle fingers to Congress, said that the Justice Department would not prosecute a federal, um, an executive branch employee um, or a former executive branch employee um, who was claiming executive privilege. The problem was, um, and, and he pointed to like Don McGahn, and Don McGahn did, you know, did manage to escape testimony in some measure. The problem was that Don McGahn was being asked to testify about stuff that happened as a part of his official duties when he was a White House employee. Bannon was not. Bannon wanted to kind of foment a coup and then claim executive privilege because he had once had like a White House hall pass. And that's, you know, not a thing. So that didn't work. Um, And it was, and it's not going to work for Navarro, who's trying the same thing. Like Bannon got convicted in July um, on both counts of contempt of Congress, one one count for refusing to testify and one count for refusing to produce documents. Okay, so and and again, uh, I I know you know this and are sort of well well prepared to talk about it. I know our listeners probably know it. Um, Bannon also raised the laundry list of arguments that we keep seeing getting recycled in these January sixth cases that begins with you know the president has absolute immunity. No, he doesn't. He's lost every case in which he's argued that. Well, the one six committee was not duly constituted. Yes, it was. And by the way, the House gets to set its own rules. Well, then it doesn't have subpoena power. Yeah, yeah, yes, it does. And that goes back to the founding of the Constitution, right? Like it's there's a grab bag of just unbelievable, right. terrible arguments. Right. Yeah. You don't have subpoena power because Liz Cheney doesn't count as a ranking member and you're not my real daddy. It's it's nonsense. Right. It's, it's, all right. of the every one of these um, plaintiffs, and there's been many, many, many people who have sued. Alex Jones sued, Mike Flynn sued, Mark Meadows sued. Like none of this is working. Um, it, none of those who won. And and John Eastman, for one, got totally slapped down on this. As did yep. as did Bannon. That um, Judge Nichols, um, a Trump appointee, Judge Carl John Nichols in the um, right. U.S. District Court in D.C., wasn't entertaining any of this bullshit. So yep. you know. Anyway, so he wasn't allowed to present any of those defenses. And so his argument was basically like, you know, you guys are mean, um, you suck. (laughs) And like it didn't work. He got he got convicted in July. um, And now Navarro is facing the exact same charges because he is also an idiot. So why would you run the same the same playbook? That that just resulted in a, you know, double barreled conviction for your buddy, Steve. Um, well, if you don't have anything else, I mean, what else is he going to say? You know, they they kind of have him. He kind of didn't show up. So he's trying to, once again, assert some version of this, like, I don't have the scienter requirement. I don't have the mens rea to have committed the crime because I, um, I, I thought I had the right to, to tell you guys, you know, to piss off. But as Licavoli, and there's the Licavoli precedent and there's all of this right. other stuff. Like, that's not a thing. Contempt of Congress doesn't depend on you thinking that you had had to be there. In fact, right. Navarro and, is... And, go ahead. We should be clear, the way in which... Th- this is just ordinary day one, year one, crim pro 
uh, I guess, substantive crim law, uh, law school stuff. The way in which you manifest mens rea is by intending to do the thing that you did. Right? right. So you 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 don't have to intend to refuse to show up to testify for Congress because you hate Congress and I, like that. You, you There's no specific intent requirement. You just have to have deliberately not shown up right. in connection with your subpoena. You know, but if, so, you, if yeah. you think it was if you think your testimony is scheduled for a Thursday and it's actually yep. on a Tuesday and you fail to show up, well, you didn't have the intent requirement to blow off Congress. Exactly right. If you think, oh, I, you know, Liz Cheney is mean and I don't have to, that's not going to cut it. So when, (laughs) so a couple of things that are, that are important here, uh, Navarro's trial is before, uh, rising superstar. And I need to always say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to like climb into his shadow, but my former partner, Amit Mehta from, from Zuckerman Spader. Um, so, uh, you can take my, commendation of his legal skills with a grain of salt, but uh, I think he has proven himself to be uh, somebody on the rise Um, and somebody who has not been shy about uh, wading into the the Trump fray and sort of parsing out the nonsense in 200 page opinions that, you know, leave absolutely no room for doubt. it looks like the argument they are raising that that Navarro is raising right now is a a, a malicious uh, a malicious prosecution kind of argument. Um, they all that <laughs> they keep circulating a dissent from Brett Kavanaugh that says a former president must be able to successfully invoke the presidential communications privilege for communications that occurred during his presidency, um, which was, I mean, again. You know, I think they know the dissent is the side that lost, but like, I, it, it wasn't I, even I a decision, even right? It was yeah. it was the obiter from from the denial of hearing. Yeah, from the denial of granting uh, injunctive relief, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, so it is it is as you point out, dicta on the shadow docket for relief that Kavanaugh wanted and lost on, right? Um, and all it says is. That, that you must be able to invoke the privilege for those communications, which, by the way, like at that level of resolution, I don't disagree with that. Right. Like former presidents certainly have some right to invoke the presidential communications privilege with their trusted advisors. That 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 seems fine to me. Um, that does not mean everybody who's ever wandered into your orbit while you're committing crimes gets immunity for those crimes. And it's consistent that that interpretation is consistent with the stance that the Trump administration took the entire time where they claimed a magical cloak of immunity for everything that took place in the executive branch. And Pat Cipollone, who is, you know, testifying now, blessed that. Yep. Yeah. No. And I love we're going to do this slight rabbit trail uh, uh, because I, I love pointing that out, that the the folks who are cooperating and testifying now, like our good buddy Patsy Baloney and uh, Steve Engel. Like, these people are still monsters, right? We just found the one line they wouldn't cross, right? And the one line apparently they would not cross was making Jeff Clark Attorney General of the United States. But everything else was still fair game. Right, right. They, yeah. they, told, they told House Oversight to, to get bent for four straight years. So... Yep, exactly right. Uh, so... 
I'm glad I'm glad you point that out. The we we, we have to like I, I I don't know your view on this. Like I I think that Liz Cheney demonstrated like legitimate what passes for courage in the electoral world. Like I have some respect for her. again her her political positions are horrible but like i have genuine respect for that but like when they're lauding mike pence who could show up tomorrow and testify about this like give me a fucking break right oh completely and and yeah. right the fact that you did one good thing doesn't mean that you didn't spend four years running interference for a criminal right we, we all yeah. we all were there for the first impeachment and the second impeachment like we saw what happened there. You guys buried, yeah. I mean, Pat, Pat Cipollone and Bill Barr, they all buried what Trump did. Trump tried to extort the leader of a foreign country for dirt on Joe Biden. And they did their very best to make sure no one ever found out about it. So, yep, yep, I, absolutely. hundred percent. So, um, OK, it strikes me kind of steel botting the other side. It strikes me as not an implausible argument to say, all right. Uh, maybe I've said this in a dumb way, but like I do seem to be the only guy you're prosecuting for this. And lots of other people have um, told you to go fuck yourself. So why am I the one who's staring down the barrel of, you know, a cold 12 months in a posh country club prison uh, well, at worst? I mean, very. that's an interesting what kind of you don't get to ask it type question, right? Because that's not... That's not what malicious prosecution is, right? Yeah, no, that, that's right. Way to way to sort of point through my examples there. But but look, it is particularly galling as someone who wrote an amicus brief in connection with the Michael Flynn decision that for four years while they were in power, the Trump administration believed in absolute prosecutorial discretion, even when a defendant had confessed multiple times that they that they believed in the in the case of Michael Flynn, that they could later turn around and drop that case for I don't know what like there is zero plausible rule. 45 reason that you could have dropped the case against Michael Flint, which is why we filed our amicus in that case. Uh, but no, um, <laughs> you, you, you do not show selective prosecution by saying other folks were prosecuted for this offense under similar circumstances any more than that works when the cop pulls you over and you say, yeah, but, you know, they were all going 80 and I was only going 75. So, yeah. Right. And even if he had a case for it, which he very clearly, he, Bannon, or he, Navarro, in, in the um, in the current situation, um, this, they're not going to be able to argue it. I mean, if Judge Nichols wasn't going to let... Um, <laughs> right. So Bannon had hoped, he, he said he was going to make this, this the misdemeanor from hell for Biden and Nancy Pelosi <laughs> and Merrick Garland because he thought he was going to use his prosecution to kind of extort all of this really damaging discovery from... Congress and the Justice Department and the White House. Um, but like he wasn't because that's just not a thing. You know, there's the speech or debate clause to protect congressional communications and work product privilege and all of the other prosecutorial privileges. He was not able to kind of um, leverage his prosecution to get all of this discovery on internal Justice Department communications on why they did they didn't prosecute Dan Scavino um, or Mark Meadows, Mark Meadows being Trump's chief of staff and Dan Scavino being his comms flack who like types out some of his nasty tweets or whatever he used to right, be his golf right. caddy. Um, uh, so, you know, in but the case of Meadows, you can kind of make a guess though, right? Because Meadows did in some wise cooperate and turned over all those thousands of texts and, you know, did not wind up testifying, but also did in some wise cooperate. 
Yeah. Uh, did did Scavino turn over any documents to the January 6th committee? It's It appears that he did not, but okay. he also did engage the committee in some wise with his lawyer. Um, no one knows, really, right? Like, we don't have the discovery either. We don't know why the Justice Department decided not to go after Scavino and Meadows, although they appear to have kind of stayed in their lane in some fashion um, in, and, and weren't so crazy. Like, they didn't... Well, I guess Meadows did write a book about, about yeah. it, too. Um, but what, whatever the reason... Bannon wasn't able to get discovery, and Navarro is making the same arguments in front of Judge Mehta, attempting to extort discovery on this malicious prosecution thing because he's, I don't know, the member of a protected class of weirdos named Doctor. I don't know. <laughs> I I think Meadows is is gonna flip. I don't. I I, I flip back, semi flip, do at least enough. I, I, and and the way that I've kind of analyzed that is, if you look at the public. Uh, January 6th committee hearings, they've basically given him the like hero way out, right? Like they have deliberately lumped him in with the folks who are are going to get the, uh, the, the hero edit out of this. Um, and, but they have documents and they've got, they've gone selectively through those documents that show that Meadows was there at ground zero. And I think, I think there's a carrot and stick, but you seem to disagree. I want to. I want to hear this. No way. Meadows works. Okay. Meadows is at. I don't. Even, I don't have the name in front of me, but Meadows is currently um, parked himself at a charity or a you know some kind of five hundred one c three advocacy mm. organization that flogs the big lie. That's where Cleta Mitchell, the former oh, Foley and Lardner partner, oh yeah, who was on the Georgia call. That's where she wound up, and not for nothing, Trump's pack. Hasn't made a whole bunch of disbursements, but right before Meadows told the committee to get bent, he got a million dollars. His his organization, wow. his anti-vote advocacy organization, or his you know vote security or whatever vote integrity organization. So, uh, hearing last week before Judge Meta, uh, what's what's your take on the situation? Well, so Navarro's back in court. Um, he was originally representing himself pro se. Um, which was which mm-hmm. was a gift for those of us who write about this on the regular. It was beautiful. He was like he spent like a month spamming Judge Meta's clerk with these pissy emails demanding like discovery on the FBI and with you know the date of the last letters, period yeah. of his, you know the FBI agent who arrested him. It was just ridiculous. Um, but but it was beautiful. And then he would intersperse it with these appearances on Tucker Carlson where he would say he was treated worse than Al Qaeda. Like you know yeah jail sucks. Um, welcome to the club. We also agree with you, but like, you know, you, you did do some crimes and, and that's, that's the thing that happens. So, um, but eventually he did get lawyers and, you know, as you like to say, put a pin in it, I would like to know who is paying said lawyers, particularly since one of them, John Rowley was recently hired to represent Trump as well. And one of the things that we've seen, cause like we're not new here is that they all kind of share lawyers and then they, um, have these joint defense agreements and they all share all their information. Um, and the person who's cutting the check tends to get visibility on everybody else's cases. So, um, you know, just, just something to consider. But anyway, now he's got, he's got counsel. Um, I mean, the, and they appear to be competent. So. Well, he does. And again, but it's baffling. Like in addition to, right. You, you mentioned Rowley has, has shown up in this before, but, Lead counsel is John Irving from the the Earth and Water Group, which, you know, as you might 
guess by the name is an earth and water law firm, right? Like they are in no way a white collar criminal defense firm. It just, I, I guess it stops feeling weird. right? Like uh, I'm sorry. Like, they get whoever will cash the checks. It's not just that. I, I mean, I think we've all like seen the lawyers who represent Trump, who is theoretically a billionaire. <laughs> and he's got these like goofballs from Newsmax or, or One America News. So right. graded on the curve of like crazy lawyers, you know, um, or, or like John Cole, who represents um, John Cole is Greta Van Susteren's husband and appears to be a retired insurance attorney. And he represents oh. Trump in all of those tech suits against Google and Meta and Twitter. So, you know, uh, this guy who appears to be a like lawyer in good standing and have relevant experience on the federal docket, like I'm going to take that. I'm going to say that that's like a good lawyer in Trump land. I I stand suitably chastened, but uh, <laughs> wow. So, all right, what, what happens next? Okay, so at this stage, Navarro is attempting to... Um, to dismiss his case. He's filed a motion to dismiss for failure, you know, for failure to state a claim. And, he, and he's making the same arguments that Bannon made, um, plus some like extra crazy stuff. Like he's decided that he has a right to um, be explained. He has a right for the January 6th committee to explain to him why it wants to talk to him and what legislative purpose this testimony could serve, um, which is like a, a thing that he made up. Um, and that, like, that's that's not a real thing. But you know, perhaps. For- well, you you do have to show germaneness to the to the prosecution. Well, but uh, the- but again, it's a very very low standard. Okay, but that's in a pro- that's a defense to a prosecution, right? That's not like something like when the subpoena comes to you, it has to have a note from Liz Cheney and and Benny Thompson that says like, here's why we want to talk to you. And by the way, there was one because it said, like, yeah. you've written about all of this stuff and you participated in this coup yeah, plot. You should he come wrote and tell a book. Us. I mean, right. Right. I mean, they did yeah. have a cover letter that explained that. But that's not a that's not a thing like that, that you're entitled to have a negotiation with Congress as to the pertinence of your testimony. Like, no, you made that up. But but cool. Fanfic is fun for everybody. Um, <laughs> and he, he wants to do the malicious and selective prosecution claim. Um, and he's, um, he's still flapping his, yeah, at the same time that he's saying, I don't have to testify. He's going on television and saying, if Anthony Fauci doesn't testify, we're going to lock him up, um, when they take back the house. I, they will. I mean, that, that's, that's a true statement if we allow Republicans to get back in power. So, yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, well, they'd have to take back the white house too, because I feel yeah. reasonably confident that. That the DOJ would not accept that referral from the House subcommittee on uh, making sure nothing gets done for two years while uh, we run out the clock on the Biden administration. Fair. Right. Fair. So Navarro (laughs) has made a bunch of other weird arguments. He's kind of baselessly accusing the Justice Department of misrepresenting the law to the grand jury, although he doesn't actually have any visibility on what the Justice Department said to the grand jury. He's he's accusing them in his filings of misrepresenting the law because of this, once again, the scienter requirement. There's, he's saying that they only got the indictment by deceiving the grand jurors about whether he had to willfully defy Congress, which is, which is another thing he made up. And he's, he's also claiming that he's being maliciously prosecuted because the Biden administration doesn't like him because he's constantly going on television and saying nasty things about them, which is 
you know, not there's yeah, no indication that's, that's true. That's the we we call that the we can prosecute you for two reasons. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of reasons to prosecute Navarro. I don't think that yeah. they have to, you know, lock him up for his screaming about nonsense on um, Tucker Carlson. So trial set for uh, November 16th. Right. And um, we're just going to wait to watch Judge Mehta deny this motion to dismiss and the companion motion to compel discovery to do all sorts of stuff that he filed uh, a couple of days ago and everything else related to that? Yeah. Pack your toothbrush, buddy. And your Adderall. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We will come back and uh, we have more on Steve Bannon uh, after the jump. Hey, this is Andrew. This is an ad for MedKline. Does shoulder pain bother you at night, like when you're sleeping on your shoulder in a funny position? There's a solution that can bring real relief. It's the MedKline 3 Component Shoulder Relief Sleep System. Look, it's no medication. It's not woo. It's not crazy crap. It's not surgery. It's the MedKline Sleep System. So you set it up on your side of the bed. You go to sleep. It's that simple. I use it because I sometimes suffer from shoulder pain in the middle of the night. So if you suffer from shoulder pain or nighttime acid reflux and GERD or both, the MedKline pillow system is designed to cushion your body in a sleeping position that is supremely comfortable. It is doctor recommended, clinically proven to provide effective natural acid reflux or shoulder pain relief, plus a better night's sleep. In fact, 95% of patients reported an overall improvement in sleep quality when using MedKline. MedKline has been validated in seven independent clinical trials, partnering with leaders in sleep science like the Cleveland Clinic. So, MedKline sleep systems, they're not just the simple cheap foam wedges. They are true medical devices. They are FDA registered, doctor recommended, clinically proven to provide relief. The patented arm pocket allows for comfortable side sleeping the entire night. And MedKline's medical grade gel infused foam is built to last and provides cooling comfort and an exceptional night's sleep for anyone using it. So now you can get 20% off when you go to MedKline.com slash cleanup. So... Get 20% off a better night's sleep today at medcline.com slash cleanup. That's today. Get 20% off M-E-D-C-L-I-N-E dot com slash C-L-E-A-N-U-P medcline.com slash cleanup. All right, Liz. So turns out we are not done talking about Steve Bannon, who, as you noted, got convicted in July of the exact same crime that Peter Navarro was going to go to uh, trial on in November. I, I think a lot of our listeners know because this is such a delightful story. But uh, what's uh, what's new in Bannon land? So uh, our buddy Bannon, uh, all three shirts, um, was indicted recently um, last week in the Southern District of New York for conspiracy to commit wire fraud and conspiracy to commit money laundering. Uh, in connection with this, we build the wall scam because um, they were going to crowdfund a border wall. They were just going to cook it up, <laughs> cook it up, homebrew, do it themselves. I, I love everything about this. When, when, when this story first broke, uh, we had Ace Associate Morgan Stringer dive into all of the perks that they were selling in connection with this crap. And it was just a gold mine of like, you know, commemorative plates and t-shirts and soda filled with liberal tears. And so I did you just get them. What oh, was your I, favorite I, we, purchase. 
<laughs> we we did not engage in any purchase, which is a shame because otherwise we could be a part of the uh, civil lawsuit that inevitably is going to come on the heels of this conviction because that's how plaintiffs' lawyers tee them up. Um, it, 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 that was... That was beautiful. Why don't you why don't you tell us a little bit about the day <laughs> in which Steve Bannon was arrested federally a year ago in connection with this exact same scheme? Because that was uh, I hoisted a few beverages uh, in connection with that one. It was great. Um, it was it was during the um, DNC and mm-hmm. the mailman arrested <laughs> Steve Bannon. On a yacht, it was so beautiful. It, it was the um, it was the, it was the yacht belonging to this Chinese expat Miles Kwok, um, who also has several other names. And, the, and China has constantly is trying to get us to extradite him back to China. Um, but he's this kind of dissident Chinese billionaire who has funded a lot of Steve Bannon's activities. And so the U.S. Postal Service Inspections Service boarded this yacht and arrested Steve Bannon, and it was it was a thing of beauty. Uh, it was it was so good. And it was the first time I think that people realized that the uh, post office ha- has its own uh, police force. So don't fuck um, with the mailman. Yeah. <laughs> good. Always good advice. So um, what was I, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the the the, the ridiculousness of the underlying con, because th- this all hinges on, I, I guess, a, a guy who has who is now flipped from because he's named in the federal indictment right. and not named in the state indictment. And, well, and by the way, should have should have put a pin in that. Well, not is 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 an unindicted co-conspirator uh-huh. in the state indictment. Uh-huh, right? uh-huh. Um, and put a pin in. Uh, can we scream about uh, Alvin Bragg being a chicken shit prosecutor for you I know, mean, an you, hour and a half? You but, can. Yeah. I really try uh, not okay. to. OK, but I think you should. It's you're so good at it. All right. So. Anyway, that's a side that's a side note. Talk to me about webuildthewall.com. Oh, it was such a perfect manga grift specimen. It was it was it was like the er grift. Um, so so they had this plan. They were going to they were going to they were going to hit up the rubes and I'm sorry for yeah. calling them rubes. You can call them deplorables and I'm not really sorry. Um, they were going to hit up the rubes for cash through GoFundMe um, to build the wall. And they had this pitch man whose name was Brian Colfage who is a veteran and a multiple amputee and and is a really good pitch man. He's a good-looking guy. His wife is beautiful. His kids are adorable. He He's very wholesome looking. Um, but they decided that they would just like crank it up one extra notch by claiming that he was a volunteer and was just giving of his time, which to be fair, he was not. Um, so, but they, so they sent them all th- themselves a bunch of texts congratulating themselves for coming up with like this great plan to, as they put it, remove all self-interest taint on this. And they said it was going to be the most talked about media narrative ed- ever. And it was going to give him the give him Colfage, the appearance of sa- um, sainthood. Um, and and it did work. They weren't wrong. Yeah, yeah. They did manage to get, you know, to get 15 million dollars from a bunch of like gullible donors. Um, but in fact, Colfash wasn't unpaid and they weren't real subtle about it. It wasn't, it wasn't like, <laughs> no, you know, no, they, were not. they had a not particularly elaborate scheme of shell companies paying him $20,000 a month, like out the door. Um, and so, and you, you can see more, you have more visibility from the federal indictment, which as you said, that was, um, 
that included Colfage and, and, and a couple of the other co-conspirators. This one is against Bannon and the, the, the New York indictment is just against Bannon because, um, well, as we'll explain, Colfage um, and the others have already been pled guilty. Um, so they're, they're now cooperating. Um, but according yeah. to the federal indictment, um, Colfage wound up pocketing upwards of $350,000 in donated money, all while he was sending all of these texts and, and, and donation solicitations that, that refer to himself as an unpaid volunteer, just doing it out of love and, you know, love for <laughs> excluding, uh, you know, starving migrants from the country. Um, what a guy. And, and- and we actually have uh, GoFundMe's internal audits to thank for highlighting this prosecution because they actually had to go back. So they so they raised more than $15 million. They had initially raised $20 million. Uh, but the problem was uh, that they had um, they'd clicked the like automatic donation and uh, the 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 line that was sent out was uh, that their donations would be transferred to We Build the Wall under the, as the indictment notes, the false premise that, quote, 100 percent of fundraising through donations will only go towards the wall. Right. And uh, that was not the case. Not so, even remotely the case. In fact, yeah, Colfage was was paid 100 grand up front even before the the, the, the 20,000 a month. So yeah. and. Everybody, it appears, from the federal indictment. Now, it's not in the state indictment, um, mm-hmm. but it, the federal indictment said that Bannon, through his own nonprofit, took in a million dollars and some of that went to Colfage. But according to the federal indictment, Bannon used a substantial proportion of these donor funds for personal uses and expenses unrelated to building, <laughs> to, to We Build a Wall. I assume you like uh-huh. went and got a facial. Or maybe not. Uh, no, maybe not. Oh, oh, well, you and I have both followed the career of one Terpsichore Maris. So the ideal use for a fake charity is, of course, bikini waxing and Twizzlers. But I cannot um, believe you made me think about Steve Bannon <laughs> getting a bikini wax. There you go. Uh, you will never come back on Clean Up on All oh 45. But thanks. Thanks for uh, sticking it out for this episode. So. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, these guys never heard of the Stringer Bell rule because they were definitely taking notes on a motherfucking conspiracy. <laughs> and they send each other just all of these texts like, I will move the money and we will go to put, move it out the back door. So like Bannon texts one of his partners in January of 2019, we need a wire of cash to unindicted co-conspirator entity number one, to which his partner responded, K. And then Bannon sent another text. To, said, to, to be fair, that's how my son responds to my text. I mean, but and still. that is fine, but presumably you're not sending your son a text that's like, let's do crimes. And your son is like, K, right? Like, <laughs> let's, not let's yet, do, anyway. Right. Hey, how about some money laundering? K. Um, so, and, and in fact, one of their companies was named White Knights and Vultures LLC, because <laughs> of course it was. Like, these guys are such a, a caricature of themselves. <laughs> It's it's so good. So, uh, yeah, um, the one kind of legal question that I, I think is sort of hanging out there is, all right, if this is the exact same conduct grifting the exact same people for which a bunch of people already already went to federal prison, um, why? Yeah. What? How is it possible that uh, that that, uh, you know, don't we don't we have a double jeopardy rule? And the answer there is dual sovereigns, right? Like it's it's really, really simple. Um, The if if your conduct can be prosecuted 
in a different forum. And here it violates state as well as federal law. Uh, then the doctrine of overlapping sovereigns allows you to allows differing state prosecutors to uh, bring essentially the same charges against the same person for the same set of crimes uh, that uh, was the subject of a potential uh, change to New York law because New York had a, a very weird interpretation of the dual sovereigns doctrine. But uh, yeah, so that's how we can go get uh, Steve Bannon twice for the same crime. So and I love it. to be fair, Bannon's jeopardy didn't attach the last time, right? Because Bannon yep. was never tried because he got yep. a pardon literally on January 20th, 2021, which Colfage and the rest of them didn't get. Like Bannon, Bannon got his ticket punched, but he didn't get his get a ticket punched yep. for Colfage. Um, so if you're wondering why, why Colfage went from being a co-defendant to being unindicted co-conspirator number one, uh, probably, hey, if there's a pardon list, I'd like to be on it. Uh, oh, I'm not on that? Okay, well then, you know, fuck that guy. And uh, that that would be that would be my interpretation of events. Yours may yours may differ. Uh, no, I would agree with you. And and were I in Colfage's position, I also might have a bone to pick with my former buddy Steve. <laughs> so I imagine, of course, now. Uh, all right, Steve Bannon has been suitably cowed. He's gonna just uh, go away, plead this out, and uh, we'll all be saved the spectacle of watching. No, that's not. You have happen, a fevered imagination, sir. Yeah, I do. I do. What's going on? <laughs> um, well, so Steve Bannon, being Steve Bannon, handled this in the most Steve Bannon way possible. So he puts out this crazy statement the other day before he's about to be in, you know, have to turn himself in. And he says, I'm never going to stop fighting. I have not yet begun to fight. They will have to kill me first. Um <laughs> <laughs> we will fight Which, them and then on the like beaches. the next day, he just right. We will fight them on the beaches. The next day, he like obediently toddles in to right. to the courthouse and, you know, gets fingerprinted and the whole the whole thing because yeah. he's voluntarily he surrenders because, of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's that's going to be fun. I think he's I think his next court states in October. Cannot wait. All right. So wrap all this up. Uh it's not great to be 2022 at a former buddy of Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and uh, you know, maybe maybe some consequences are coming for folks who um, have mostly managed to skate by unscathed. Uh, yeah, fucking around's fun, but finding out sucks. Well, I couldn't put it any better than that. So, Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, you are at $5 Feminist. That's the number five, at $5 Feminist on Twitter. You got the byline at Wonket. Uh, anything else we want to plug? Above the law. Yeah. Oh, and of course, abovethelaw.com. So, uh, Liz, your stuff is outstanding. Everybody should be reading it. And uh, thank you so much for coming on Clean Up on Aisle 45. Thanks, Andrew. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joel Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.